This episode of the Vocalscope podcast is sponsored by the Vocalscope Book Club for singers, voice users, voice practitioners and vocal coaches. In the Vocalscope Book Club, you get to nominate, vote for and read a different voice or performance-related book every month. We have book discussions where we mull over and unpack what we're reading, always considering how it might affect our practice. And then we put questions we have directly to our author of the month in a members-only Q&A. You can find out more about joining us via the link in the show notes or just search the Vocalscope Book Club. My guest today first entered the music scene in 1981 and has since become one of the best-known session singers of the past three decades. With her versatile voice and ability to blend within a myriad of styles, she has hundreds of recording credits and live appearances to her name, performing with some of the biggest names in the music industry. If you were listening to music during the 1980s and 90s, then the chances are that she performed live with some of your favourite artists and sang on your most loved tracks. In 2015, she turned author with her memoir titled Backtrack, The Voice Behind Music's Greatest Stars. She was described by producer and musical director Steve Anderson as the ultimate backing singer, not only because she does it with grace and excellence, but because her knowledge of harmony is second to none. I fall in love with voices rarely, he says, but I fell in love with hers the moment we did our first session together, and I have been that way ever since. Tessa Niles, it is such a pleasure to be speaking with you. Welcome to Vocalscope. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. Oh, it's shared, I promise you. So we heard in the intro that your book is called Backtrack, and I'd really like to begin by just backtracking to the early days of when you first discovered your voice and your passion for music, because I believe that every singer has a particular moment, something that they remember, an instance where they first discover a sense of magic or possibility or potential in using their voice. And I am really interested to discover uh, what was that moment for you? Well, it's actually fascinating you ask that because in my book, I write that, um, you know, I was inspired by what I heard, you know, my older brother and sister's record collection, as so many of us, I'm sure, did. But in actual fact, I can pinpoint it to much younger. I think I probably was about three. Um, But my father was um, a volunteer policeman. There is a name for them, but I can't think what it is now. Um, But um, there was a kind of an event and my family went along and they had a band and apparently I stood up on the stage and sang. Now, I don't remember exactly what I sang or or what I was doing, but I remember the feeling. Mm. Even at three years old, I remember that there was a kind of... uh, magic there was something that felt very that sat right that felt very right and very special 
even to a three-year-old. So yeah, that, that probably was the earliest. Fantastic. And you write in Backtrack about the huge amount of support that you were given in your early years and that that built the inner confidence that you had. Was that just from your parents or was it from the people that you were growing up with around music as well? Yeah, it was very much a kind of a widespread thing, but beginning with my family who were just hugely supportive. I mean, my parents didn't really know anything about music uh, terribly much. They were musical, but they didn't know um, really what areas to kind of, you know, guide me in. Um, But they were very trusting of what I was doing, even when I, you know, started to do ridiculous things and came home and was singing all sorts of strange, weird and wonderful things. Um, They were just hugely supportive, Um, but it was a wider feel. I was supported at school. Um, My parents' friends were very supportive. My my own friends were hugely supportive. And I think it's so important as a singer to find your tribe early on, (laughs) if that's possible. It's not always possible, however, but seek seek out good people good people that that want the best for you and that understand your dreams and talk to us about the people that were really key in supporting you and leading you to those first opportunities that allowed you to break into session singing that would have to be really my brother's best mate so i have a brother who's four years older than me And he had a friend who was a musician and he and my brother built a kind of small recording studio, very, very sort of small scale in um, in this chap, Paul Hughes's bedroom. And um, so I used to pop down after school and Paul trained my ear, I, I suppose, you know, even at a young age, he was very, very into you know, groups like the Carpenters and the Eagles and, you know, all of those great harmony groups. And we would do little mock-up versions of of these tracks, covers, if you like, kind of early covers. And um, he just was my mentor, even though I was, gosh, probably about 12. Um, he just, and I was, I was so hooked. I, w- I didn't want to do anything else. I mean, academia took a back seat, not that it was ever prominent in my life, sadly, but um, it was definitely music all the way then for me. So he was a huge influence for me. And he actually signed a publishing deal with a very small company. And I used to go down to a studio that he was affiliated with, all very sort of small scale. Um, But I would do sessions after school. I would literally turn up in my school uniform and back the local artists and make a few shillings. And I just thought I'd made it. And then you did. (laughs) And then then I did. Series of of interesting events. But, you know, it's quite extraordinary. I think one of the things about, wonderful things about the alchemy of life and the strangeness, you never know where opportunities are going to present themselves, was that I was very fortunate to meet someone who became my first husband. And again, he championed me, he promoted me, he pushed me forward. I had to prove myself over and above being his girlfriend at the time and, the, and then wife, mm. um, as one does. You know, it's not enough just to know people and be connected. Um, but without those early opportunities, without that luck, if you like, and without people believing in you, it's tough to make it without that kind of tribe around you. And so 
talk to us about how you then got your really big break because there's a very significant um, meeting isn't there that led really to the rest of your career yes well there were a couple I'm wondering which one you're referring to <laughs> um, give me a clue oh, uh, well uh, I mean I wouldn't want to arrest you or anything oh yeah no <laughs> quite quite ah I'm with you yes I'm with you so I was actually kind of sitting in my living room wondering about the next step of my career. I had joined a, a jazz funk outfit combo and uh, who were excellent, a band called Morrissey Mullen and they were kind of, you know, big in the 80s. Uh, and, and again, in a kind of low key way, in a, more of the jazz field, I think. And again, I was, I was singing with them uh, a few times a week and I pretty much thought I was a big deal at that point. For, for me, that was making it, you know, um, it was fantastic. It was performing to, you know, 150 people a night and learning my craft, if you like. I was very, very happy. But then I got this call. Um, could I pop down to the studio um, four o'clock this afternoon? And I, I kind of faked it, obviously, on the phone and said, mm, oh, just let me check my diary and kind of rifle through papers. Of course, I had nothing in the diary. I was going snow blind looking at it. Um, and, you know, rushed down, donned my kind of best ripped jeans and the Breton style T-shirt with the shoulder pads and my scrunchy hair. Um, and off I went down to Islington in London to a record a rehearsal room, actually. And I didn't know who I was meeting, but I was just told, oh, can you go down there? Can you this? There's a band and, you know, they're auditioning people. And can you go down? So I arrived at this place. There was nobody there to meet me with no introduction. And I stood outside the steel doors of this rehearsal room number three and um i could hear the strains of you know unbelievable guitars just kind of going crazy and it just sounded amazing the door opened in fact i opened the door there was nobody as i say there to introduce me and i walked in and it was uh, andy summers stuart copeland and gordon sumner otherwise known as sting uh, of the police and i just kind of froze i just thought jeez you know guys <laughs> give, give me a break no one's introduced me here i'm literally just standing here 22 years old um, and now I actually have to speak to these three bona fide rock stars. Um, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. But the other thing about, wonderful thing about youth is that you are kind of just, you do just go for it, don't you? Because mm. you don't know any different, you just kind of go for it. So um, I waited until the track finished uh, that they were working on and stepped forward and introduced myself. I can't imagine what I said. I must have sounded like a total twit. But anyway, um, it was extraordinary. And the meeting um, ended with Sting saying, well, uh, you know, pop to my house tomorrow and we'll have a little sing song. Wow. <laughs> um, which was exactly what happened. And I showed up the next day. We had a little sing song. It almost went horribly wrong, but, you know, you can read about that in the book. <laughs> um, but five days later, I kid you not. So, so yeah, that week I'd sung in front of 150 people at the Bull and Gate in Kentish Town. Um, and the following week, I was playing to 40,000 people in Shea Stadium. 
phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, talk about baptism by fire. I mean, that it literally went from 150 to, to that many people. It was extraordinary. And the roller coaster kind of began from there, really. And how did you deal with that? Because that's a real issue in terms of training singers. It's something that we come up against again and again and again, which is performance anxiety, performance mm. nerves. You know, you've talked about being so overwhelmed by even just meeting Sting. How did you find it being able to sort of, you know, just deliver? Or was it that the music and the act of singing was actually your safety zone. And so although oh. the situation was very overwhelming, actually the act of doing your job wasn't. Or, or, or did you struggle with that? No, that's a very good way of describing it. I think you're right. I think the fact that I was confident with my singing, I, I knew what to do. I knew I could do the job. I mean, outside of the fact that I had to learn an entire catalogue of songs mm. in in a short time but to be that was fun that was that was so exciting mm. that was the most exciting thing so it's very interesting that you articulate it in that way because that's exactly what it was i knew that i could do the job i was unfamiliar with the kind of grandiousness of of rock stardom i mean we were in you know private planes and we had limos and it was the full-on rock and roll experience um and I was ready for that. I was nervous of that, but I was ready for it. And of course, the adrenaline was just immense. And the idea, I mean, these guys were, I think every breath you take was at the top of the charts. I mean, they were number one. Mm. So they were the hottest band in the world. And I just went along with it. I was so excited. Um, and I didn't overthink it either. I, I, I really didn't. I thought, wow, this is an opportunity. I'm just going to grab it with both hands. That's fantastic that you were able to do that in such an overwhelming scenario. Um, and there are other sort of very particular skills, aren't there, required for backing singing. Let's let's talk about those because our listenership, you know, we're being listened to by singing teachers, by vocal coaches, by yes. singers that are in training at the moment. And I think that you are able to give our listeners some really um, valuable insights into that side of the industry, um, what skills are required and what skills maybe you had or had to develop just learning on the job. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, okay, and, and here comes the bombshell. I had no training. That's amazing, isn't it? None. It's extraordinary now mm. I think about it. Um, both my daughters have had vocal, extensive vocal training, and they are great singers because of that training. I mean, they, you know, they had a natural talent, but their training has just been extraordinary. And, and I often say to them, um, I wish I'd had that kind of training because I would have been a better singer. And they they question that. They say, well, yeah, but mum, you, you had other skills and you, you developed so naturally. And they're right, I did. Um, I, as I say, I had a very good kind of ear for things. I, harmonies were my bag. So, you know, being a backing singer always sat incredibly comfortably with me. However, I wasn't prepared for the type of singing that I was asked to do. So Sting has a particular uh, vocal style. He, you know, it, he uses a lot of falsetto, or he did in those days. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was always full on, you know, and, and he used minimal vibrato, which was an absolute killer, actually. And I struggled with long term on the tour um, because he wanted the, the singers to sing at full tilt with very little vibrato. In fact, he said no vibrato. He mm. wanted three, three stings, as it were. Mm. Um, and that was hard because you know vibrato is, is such a comfortable place you you know better than i do that you know the the the, the technology of it and, and 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 why it probably protects the voice um i had no clue of course and still still don't know a lot about the voice and i'd love to know more but at, in those days it was just a question of throwing yourself in learning on the job and doing it I'd, I'd say one of the most important skills as, as a session singer or a backing singer is is being able to do your job and work at it with very little instruction particularly in rock and roll and the reason I say that is because these guys do not want to sit down in, in, in a kumbaya situation in an acoustic way and teach you the parts they expect you to know them Mm. So I, I really did kind of have to use my own smarts, I, I suppose, about it. Um, and, but I struggled with my voice towards the end of the tour. That synchronicity tour was about six months long. And at the end of six months, I had no voice left. And that was scary. Mm. It was very, very scary. It came back and I didn't have nodules and I hadn't done any long-term damage, but it was very, very scary. And if I had had training, I mean, I never used to warm up ever yes decades of singing without warming up how did I do that I have no idea it's uh, yeah yes. it's, it's quite amazing that I didn't have more problems I, I, I it, consider myself extraordinarily lucky that I didn't but it also sounds to me like you had such an understanding of your instrument and such an intimate relationship with it that you were able to manage it thank goodness you know really safely um, and it was only when you were being asked to sing outside of what you found, you know, natural and easy mm -hmm. that then you came across an issue. And so I think it's really just testament to your intimate relationship with your voice and how relaxed and natural it was for you. Um, yes, I, I think you I think you're probably right about that. But but long term I would have done enormous damage yes so probably now if I were asked to sing like that I, I would refuse because yes. I wouldn't be able to do it and sustain it and I would be mm. too worried about but I think in those days certainly faced with that particular situation I wasn't going to say no to anything as it were and did you read music? Were you ever presented with dots or was it always that you were picking up on the vibe and you were listening to the music and then you were making vocal suggestions? Uh, you know, how, how was the creativity of, uh, uh, of the creation of the track? Because something that you talk about it very much in your book is about the fact that, you know, a, a backing singer or a session singer... Um, they're not just a little added extra on the end. They they can actually really make a whole track come alive and yeah. their part is absolutely crucial. So um, so, so uh, what was your experience of, of how music was created in the 80s, in the 90s? Um, were you told what to do or was it the fact that you were going from the vibe and the feel? 
I think anything to do with live work with rock and roll, it was always about feeling your way and the feel and um, it being extremely organic most of the time. In the studio, it was a different matter. Uh, live, I was never faced with dots or music ever. I think in my entire long, <laughs> long career. Um, in the studio, yes, there were times where I was and I was very out of my depth because I wasn't a reader. Um, I had good friends, kind friends who I would stand next to, who would teach mm. me the part sometimes. But I, it was always uncomfortable because I wasn't confident. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I look back at it now and I had so much work that there was never a time where I thought, gosh, you know what? I really should learn to read music because I was doing so much on the rock and roll side. Mm. Um, uh, and that's, you know, a, a lucky thing for me that I had that, but also meant that I didn't really, you know, expand my own vocal knowledge, which I, you know, would have been great. I, I really would have benefited from that. But most of the time in the studio, and I think because people knew the kind of, the producers knew the kind of singers I, 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 singer I was, um, would ask me very often to come into the studio and arrange a part, a vocal part in the chorus. Um, one guy I worked for used to call it the kind of fairy dust, you know, there'd be, in his words, he'd say, well, I've been recording hairy ass blokes on this track, you know, and now we get you in and you're the fairy dust, you kind of sprinkle that. Um, it was very kind of him to say that, uh, you know, he, they were looking for that lightness and that, that mm. um, little bit of magic um, that female voices provide, particularly uh, on the choruses. But going back to your point about the importance of backing vocals we we reinforce that hook in the chorus mm. you know i often say to people imagine aretha franklin's respect without the just a little bit just a little bit you know that's the bit that everybody sings along with even Absolutely. if you don't know the words to the chorus you know you know those backing vocal parts and you sing along and they are so intrinsic to hit records that I have at times felt that they've, you know, been misunderstood that, that musicians get a lot more credit than the singers. And so I've tried to kind of um, wave the flag a little bit for, for singers who um, provide, you know, enormous amounts of, of great hooks and, uh, you know, to, to, to hit records. Yes. And, and to the whole creative process as well, because it's, it's not only about the vocal, it's also about the performance energy, isn't it? It's Absolutely. about not de detracting, but, but, but you, you contribute so much of the, of the feel. Did you enjoy that aspect of, of, of the career? I did. I loved that. And it, it felt so right for my particular personality. However, it's not right for everybody because I think you have to be, yes, you have to be a vocal shapeshifter. You have to be able to kind of cover lots of different styles and genres and know your know your music you know know your catalogue and know how to approach these different styles um, but it certainly isn't right for everybody and I've worked with other singers who don't want to be there do not want to be in the background they want to be out front and, and that's fine um, but you're in the wrong job you know mm. because you really do have to park your ego 
you you're there as the supporting role and it either suits you or it doesn't I think and talk to us a little bit about your personal feelings about having a solo career because you wandered into it or were maybe led into it should I say (laughs) and it felt like a direction you didn't want to go in didn't it talk to us about that it's a great question Juliet and I think I thought I wanted to be an artist I think um, it felt like that was the progression for any singer was at that time was to to dip a toe in to the artist field um, however I I lacked the drive and that kind of absolute laser focus that you need to have as an artist I just didn't have it I, I didn't I made records I was very fortunate I made solo records, I wrote with people, I worked with great producers, but there was always something missing and the element missing was me and my drive and ambition. Uh, And when I, and I didn't know that at the time, I didn't know why it wasn't working. But once I started to get more work as a session singer and become known, I realized that that was my superpower. Mm. Um, And that was where I, really could achieve something and so leaving the artist dreams if you like behind was was pretty easy for me because I knew where I where I um, excelled you know and definitely it wasn't on the artist route. Touring is a, a very specific way of life isn't it? It's so far removed from reality uh, you've talked to us already about you know limousines picking you up you know, all of that sort of stuff. But it's incredibly difficult uh, for those you're leaving behind when you're away on tour. Tell us about um, the impact that that had on you and whether or not, had you had your time again, would you decide, okay, I'm just going to focus on recording or did you love touring and the live performance so much that you wouldn't change it for the world? I don't think I'd change it for the world. Um but there were definitely some casualties um, along the way. And I think, especially as a woman, may I say that? Yes. Is it it okay to say as a woman, I think we, uh, particularly in a man's world, as rock and roll was very, very much that way in the 80s. Um, Yeah, it, it, it wasn't easy having a relationship I didn't have children, which was was great. So at at that point, so, you know, I was very career focused and so was my partner at the time, my husband. Um, But it was it was a disaster, really, for our relationship because I became very funny, funny enough, as as unfocused as I was as an artist, I shifted that and had laser focus as a backing singer mm. and 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 I was very very ambitious and and uh you know really kind of wanted to to move up and, and go from job to job um but you know what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas they mm. say and mm. it was such a bonkers world Juliet it was so mad um you know this girl from Essex kind of plunged into this full-on touring life um 
I, I immersed myself in it entirely. And in some way, it was, was very, very selfish about it. I didn't really want to be calling home every day no. and talking about the fabulous parties that I'd been to. In fact, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to do was make it sound as if I was having as amazing a time as I was actually having. You know, nobody wants to call their their partner back home and go, yeah, yeah, gosh, yeah, I was out last night with Jagger and, <laughs> and you know, Jerry Hall. And yeah, you know, nobody wants to do that. Um, and I, I became, yeah, you know what, I was, I was young too. I was 22 years old. I've forgiven my young self um, for being that way. But it was not conducive to, to, you know, having a relationship, not at all. Not at all. And sadly, the relationship fell apart. Um, lasted about eight or nine years, but yeah, eventually sort of ended. Um, and it's, I, gosh, twenty twenty is such a, such a thing, isn't it? To have, mm. um, yeah. It's um, after that I realised, of course, and, and I grew up. I matured and realised that I'd made huge mistakes, but I was also very young. You know, so so that is the time when you're when you're learning and making mistakes. And you have to be laser focused to have the career that you had. Yeah. You know, you worked with George Harrison, Annie Lennox, Tears for Fears, the Pet Shop Boys, the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, Elton John, <laughs> Tom Jones, <laughs> Kylie Minogue. I mean, <laughs> for goodness sake, you know, that required you to do your job really well and to 100% be on the court, you know? Yes, and, you're so right. You're so and right. really present with where you were. The credits that you gained in your career are just astounding. Talk to us about that legendary concert with <laughs> with Bowie. <laughs> I mean, that's just what a mind-blowing experience that must have been for you. Yeah. Completely, completely. So I think it was kind of a never before, never again moment um, in musical history and certainly in my history. I was asked to, whether I wanted to be involved in something that meant sort of five days rehearsal and it was a big concert. And again, the person who was asking me to do this was so cryptic and wouldn't tell me who the artist was. And well, I was, yeah, okay, I went along with it. And a couple of phone calls later, um, I was told that the event was Live Aid. Well, that didn't mean much because none of us knew what it was. And it was David Bowie. And um, the rest is very much musical history. We had five days. None of the band had worked together before. Um, and it was led by uh, an MD called Thomas Dolby. And I think he'd handpicked everyone. And again, it was, you don't have a lot of time to think or, mm, yeah, you just kind of run with it. You go with it. And again, I knew what I was doing. I was comfortable. I was in my zone and um, doing backing vocals. And so we worked kind of three days solidly on five tracks. And then Bowie came in on the fourth day and uh, asked us, yeah, asked us kind of to do a short list of songs we actually had more than, way more than five tracks uh, to begin with. But then asked us to do the shortlist and I piped up, well, I think we should do Rebel Rebel because my name, my maiden name was Webb. And at school, people used to sing, Webble, Webble. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that was kind of close to my heart. And we actually did end up performing Rebel Rebel. 
not Webble Webble. Um, <laughs> and I like to think that that was kind of my suggestion. So I kind of like to hold on to that. But of course, Bowie was extraordinary. He was captivating. He was mesmerizing. He was utterly gorgeous and also had this extraordinary way about him where he made everybody feel valued and mm. extremely important in what he was doing which didn't always happen in rock and roll very often it was a question of right put on a clean t-shirt and rock up on stage you know there wasn't a lot and as we all know about Bowie he has this had this extraordinary um, visual side to him as well you know he was the consummate performer and looked at everything and you know mm. asked myself um, you know what I was going to be wearing on the day and just took took a great interest in 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 that side of things mm. and that was absolutely divine and then come the day of course it was extraordinary and I remember sitting backstage doing my makeup in a, sort of a trailer that had been set up and hearing Queen they were on before us and thinking whoa they sound like they're going down a storm <laughs> amazing said, putting on her eyelashes <laughs> and then um and then we were on after that and it was just the most extraordinary thing i mean yeah to to have experienced something like that at such a young age mm. um yeah it was just magical and i'm so grateful to have had that experience yeah incredible to be part of music history and also you know the 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 what 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 that whole project stood for and what yes, it achieved absolutely. was just incredible. Um, it's, it's, it's at this point that I would love also to just share with you my my meeting Bowie story. Oh gosh, <laughs> because, yes, Go Because I've it. never been able to tell anyone who's actually <laughs> met him. <laughs> Go on, the floor is yours, Julia. No, so I was 13 years old and we were making a film called The Last Temptation of Christ in Morocco. Mm. Didn't know that he was in it and walked into the hotel reception and he was, ah, oh, Juliet, you're playing the angel. Yep. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's, that is David. He said, would you like to have some tea with me? What? <laughs> and I was 13 years old. I was like, this is strange. <gasps> <laughs> so we had tea. He took a real interest in, you know, so what are you doing? What's, you know, where, what, what do you want to do in your career? What are your, you know, what are you interested in? Da, da, da. Um, and just really just took time. And it wasn't until he died that then I started, obviously, you know, when, when people die, you start to hear all these wonderful stories about them that people haven't maybe shared before. Yeah, and what yeah. really came out was the fact that he seemed to seek the people that were greenest, newest into the industry, just finding their feet. And he would make sure that they were okay, he would make contact with them, he'd have conversations with them, he'd take an interest in them. Oh. And I just thought that just that just says what a special <sighs> human being he he was. Because it would have been so easy to think there's absolutely no way I'm inviting that 13-year-old and her chaperone to have a cup of tea with me <laughs> Quite. in this Moroccan hotel. Oh, what a fantastic story. I know, isn't it lovely? It's just brilliant and it just also kind of brings home the generosity of the man that mm. I experienced you know That's we it. both clearly experienced that in him mm. and how giving and how wonderful because goodness only knows rock and roll's not known for, for those types of people really mm. you know it's it's um and and the fact that he was like that and and he he showed that side of himself so comfortably and made everybody feel as I say valued and um just gorgeous gorgeous what a lovely story I love it how do you feel 
the industry has changed um, since that era because it really was a golden era wasn't it I mean it was the golden era of rock and roll and you know those huge tours and really now we're in a different age of 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 the music industry how do you feel about those changes yeah it's it's complicated isn't it it's Mm. um it 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 is almost unrecognizable Mm. from the times when I was involved in it kind of at the heights of 80s and 90s I I think it's extraordinarily challenging for young people now because, uh, you know, they have to be their own managers a lot of the time. They have to run their own PR. Uh, you know, they they have to do their own marketing. Mm. They have to be their own record company. They have to be their own graphic designers. They have to be their own stylists. And, and back in the day, there was a job for every single one of those positions, you know. And so an artist would be very supported and basically had to just kind of write songs and show up on stage. Mm. Everything else was taken care of. These days, it's so much harder because the record companies were the gatekeepers and they no longer are. So in a way, you know, in some ways it's fantastic because there's so much more music out there and there's so much more opportunities for people to get their music heard. However, the process of getting there is so intensely hard for an artist or a band. Do you work with young artists now? I do, and I absolutely love to mentor young people who are, you know, considering or even in in the business. Mm. And what I don't do, which I think some people are quite disappointed about, is that obviously I'm not a vocal coach, so I don't give them any kind of vocal training because I'm not equipped to do that. But what I think possibly they need more from me are life skills and mm. uh, and and you know experiences that I can share with them that are relevant to them and also that that will help them with resilience because I think it's incredibly hard and you have to toughen yourself up to have a career as an artist and also as a session singer I'm not even sure that uh you know a lot of people can now sustain a career as a session singer i think you probably have to have a side hustle and do lots of other things as well Mm. um and i and i love to dig in to the the psychology of it i mean i'm Mm. obviously not qualified in, in in that sense but i do think um i can help young people with insights and things that perhaps they haven't thought about you know they probably had a great deal of of help with their music and perhaps even vocal training, hopefully vocal training. Um, but I think for me, as I say, I can give them different skills and different insights and um, love doing that. Incredible. All my guests are asked the same question. If there was an artist that you wanted uh, everybody to listen to, one artist and a particular song which is your favorite voice your favorite artist what would you choose and you're allowed as long as you like to think about it I can cut out the silence (laughs) (laughs) well I I do have a, a kind of a I think it resonates for me because of the people that I was inspired by, the singers that I listened to when I was growing up. And mm. and that hasn't changed. I'm still inspired by them. Mm. You know, just, um, I, I still love to listen to their, in fact, I prefer the older stuff rather than any of the newer stuff that they're 
trying to do. So kind of from that back catalogue of mine, I would have to say the standout artist for me will always be Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. Because he meant so much to me. And I, and I you know, I consider him uh, a luminary. And I think he's influenced so many other singers and artists. And uh, he's, he's just a flawless artist. Uh, so and that the albums that he produced um, back in the day, perhaps back in the sort of late seventies, throughout the eighties, were just extraordinary for me. And one of the reasons I think I do what I do is is because mm. of him. So definitely Stevie Wonder, without question. But then there are so many extraordinary female vocalists, you know, that I revere. I was a huge fan of Karen Carpenter. I thought that Carpenter sound, of course, the the, the harmonies were the thing that kind of grabbed me and. And pulled me in um, mm. and I adored I loved um, uh, there was a guy called Sergio Mendes and he had these great girls that sang with him and I loved them I loved Stevie's backing singers who were there's a there's a thread here isn't there it was always the backing vocals I listened yes. to so there uh, Stevie <laughs> had a, um, a backing band called Wonder Love and the singers with him were just extraordinary um, as a band I love Steely Dan kind of I, I love the, the musicality uh, nowadays, I yeah, there's some amazing artists like that. vocally. I think Ariana Grande is extraordinary. Um, who else do I listen to? Um, uh, I I think I mean Adele is extraordinary. She's she's a wonderful interpreter of songs. She's a real storyteller through her songs, and I think that's what draws so many of us in. Um, but it's funny when I was younger, it was all about you know, were you technically a fantastic singer? Mm. That, well, that mm. was what I vibed off. You know, if, if you, if you, you know, didn't sing terribly well, I dismissed you, just totally dismissed you. Whereas I think as I've got older, I'm much more interested in the interpretation. So a singer doesn't have to be perfect for me anymore. It's about, ooh, it's about soul. It's about authenticity it's about what's what am i what am i connecting with how are you doing that for me so it's not about perfection anymore and if stevie wonder is your favorite ever artist and voice which one <laughs> track will you choose to be added to the vocal scope podcast guests playlist julia this is hard <laughs> come on oh, my word but you know i'm gonna dig deep i'm i'm gonna go go there all in love is fair yeah fantastic he is, he is the ultimate for me well that track will be added to the vocal scope podcast guest playlist oh but love that talking of playlists uh when we were discussing your book in the vocal scope book club recently one of the things that came up was that we think you you should have a tessa niles playlist so that anybody who wants to go and listen to your back catalogue because a number of us were reading your book and then we were going off and listening to hours of music <laughs> finding, <laughs> finding all the tracks that you were on going you know including the in you know the duran oh, duran you that's know, all so those, funny yeah all that's those so all those moments so we think that you need your own playlist are you up for that are you are you up for creating one we, we, well we... now it's funny you should say that because <laughs> i actually do have one yes do you? i do i do i do and i'm just trying to find it now 
We are that. going to link to that in the show notes yes, as well. There you go. For everyone. The, there you go. Absolutely. Fantastic. There are there are some some good ones on there. Um, and probably some unexpected ones maybe I didn't even mention in the book, but there's there's some nice ones that, that you might have fun listening to. Oh, that is so great. So yeah, thank you so much for our conversation today. Thank you for, you know, the insights into the whole world of being a backing singer and a session singer for uh, for your book that opens our eyes and ears to that world and for really, you know, giving backing singers a voice. It's so needed in the industry and, um, and, and the public need to understand, you know, that the audience, the listeners need to understand more, I think, about the importance of, of the work that, that, that you do. And uh, so thank you so much for, for, for giving us all that opportunity because your book is brilliant and I urge everybody to rush out and read it. And you read it beautifully as well because I listened to it on Audible and I really enjoyed listening to uh, you uh, read it. So thank you so much for your fabulous book and for today as well. Well, thank you for asking me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Juliet. Oh, it's the breath of Chatty, 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 all the things.